You're now listening to Free the Tongue Podcast, brought to you by American English TAFL, a podcast that explores language and culture. Hi, guys, and welcome back to Free the Tongue Podcast, episode three, Everyone is Important. I'm here today speaking with Jose Rodriguez. So, hi, Jose. How are you doing? I'm good today. Uh, just uh, getting some work done at a coffee shop. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you. Thank you. Don't you love um, the coffee shop vibes? I think it's just so much better to be in a coffee shop than to be in like an office or a stuffy studio. It's so much more inclusive. Absolutely. Um, I love getting my uh, everyday drink, vanilla oat milk latte iced. That's my go-to every time I need to learn a new uh, order. Okay, guys. So if you hear clinking glasses or chattering, think of it as AMSR. You know, like lo-fi, chill music with the ambiance in the background. All right. So let's jump into it. What's your Grand Rapids background, Jose? So I lived here for a year during college. I went to Grand Valley State University. Uh, After living here for a year on the west side, uh, right off of Fulton, I finished school, moved to Chicago, um, realized that Chicago was a little too much for me. The big city life was absolutely not what I wanted to, you know, to be surrounded by. So I moved back to Grand Rapids, just having had connections here. And uh, now I've been living here for going on six years. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, so then how did you get into education? So at Grand Valley, I actually was an art education major for four years. Uh, After four years, I decided that education was not necessarily the route that I wanted to go. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an art teacher. Um, However, I did finish my degree in interdisciplinary studies with a focus in sociology and education. Um, So I found myself still passionate about education, um, just not in the most traditional way. Okay, can you give me, um, can you tell me a little bit about your experience as a person of color going through the the traditional route to become an educator? Because a lot of us don't make it through university education programs. I have my reasons why, but I, I want to know what was your experience there? Absolutely. So um, being in the education program, um, first of all, there's not too many men in the program, right? So um, I was one of maybe three uh, men in our class. Um, and then, of course, there's less men of color. Um, so I was only Hispanic male in our program um, in the education in the general education program but then even more specifically in the art education program um, that was a lot smaller um, I was the only person of color um, in that program and it, it did seem interesting to me um, and I, I kind of knew going into the program that that's how it was gonna be but I think that's even more reason to put yourself in those spaces that were not traditionally found just to start creating paths for more educators to feel comfortable going into that into that field okay very interesting so 
I always say that I'm an educator who specializes in language. What would you say is your specialty? So my specialty, I would say, is in relationship building and um, really successful behavior intervention. So coming from, from my background, like I was not a great student. I, um, you know, didn't like traditional schooling. I got in trouble frequently. I got kicked out of my house when I was 15. So I was homeless for a little bit, still going to school. But I think just having those, you know, what we call adverse childhood experiences or ACEs um, gives me a really great opportunity to recognize those experiences in other students and really be able to relate to them and understand what they need to be successful um, in traditional schooling, which again, doesn't work for everybody, but um, you know, it's the system that we have. And so I think that um, we have to just work to navigate around that, unfortunately. But I think that with my experience, um, building those relationships has been something that's come very naturally to me. You know, honestly, I think you are the example of why representation matters. I would think that you would definitely have the tools and the skill sets to be the leader for those kids and like mentor them and guide them through in a way that maybe they didn't see or know that they could go through the system before. So that's really that's really interesting that you pointed that out. I definitely agree with with how you see that. So what is something you are most proud of doing as an educator this year? So one thing I was really proud of this year was um, recognizing that students needed some motivation to, you know, to get some work done. I work, um, I worked this year at Alger Middle School, um, one of the lowest performing schools in Michigan. So I recognized that students needed some motivation. They needed something to, to you know, aim towards, have a goal and, and you know, in this whole thing. And so one thing that I started doing was, so I customized shoes and of course kids really got into it. They really bought into it. And so Mr. Rodriguez ended up being, okay, you know, if you get good grades, he'll customize shoes for you. And so that, you know, that popped off and like kids were so excited to like boost their grades. They would do extra credit opportunities uh, they would stay after school with me to work on uh, assignments and um, you know and then I would customize shoes for them or I would customize a t-shirt for them and just really like rewarding them with something that they love something that's like um, you know culturally responsive like um, black and brown kids they love their you know they love their outfits they love to be on point and recognizing that that's a, an amazing tool that like will get them motivated to do work aside from you know it being a passion that I share with them was a really great thing that I got going this year and um, so that's something that, that I'm really proud of uh, and helping them get those grades up by doing something that we both mutually love. That is just so awesome. I absolutely love that. You really took the time and the effort to get to know your kids and not only that, Figure out ways that you connected with them naturally. Um, we spoke a little bit before and you mentioned you have a print business and you shared your passion with your students and then you were able to share that in a way that they really connected to by customizing their shoes and their shirts and things. And did you get above and beyond for that? So um, 
I, you know, there, there was one point that I, I started actually teaching the kids how to, how to make their own shirts as well. So I brought my heat press over. Um, I was working on some, you know, shirts for school. And so kids were really interested in doing it. And so, you know, we took an afternoon. I asked their teachers if it was okay. Um, they sent me some students that, you know, needed, needed just a little extra support. And so we did it in the hallway. It was really fun. They got to customize their own shirts. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunately, you know, it's not something that I ever received any, any recognition from or anything. But, you know, if, if that's all I did, I don't think I'd do much as an educator. But, you know, when you really love what you do and you really are passionate about helping kids, um, you know, it's, it's okay to, to not receive recognition. It's okay to not, um, you know, see that administrators are, are noticing what you're doing. But at the same time, I think that's a problem because there's a lot of teachers, there's a lot of other educators that go above and beyond and never really get the recognition and there's so many teachers I know that put in so much work outside of school I see them after school at events I see them doing programming with kids um, and that's something that um, maybe we can discuss later but I think that's a, a huge problem in education is just expecting so much but then recognizing and rewarding so little oh yeah let's let's get into that because actually that is something that led me to go to the superintendent which is uh something i talked about in my previous podcast episode episode nine and at the foundation of that was especially teachers of color and this is uh backed up by data and research a recent study found that teacher of color tend to not get good evaluations and things like that at a higher rate than their white counterparts and i think a lot of that is due to an inability to see the cultural shifts that we as people of color bring to the schools that are predominantly black and brown there aren't that many black and brown teachers in the district we are a minority in a district where our students are the majority and yet you know and this is going to lead to my next question you were pushed out of the education field i'm being pushed out of the education field and it seems we're not a priority even though the district pays lip service to us being a priority it seems we are not being prioritized and that is not to say you know that there are not amazing white teachers out there because I had the pleasure to work with some but I also saw a lot who got credit where it was not due and I also saw a lot who may have gotten highly effective because they did this thing that looks good but it didn't impact the student uh, test scores which we know by data and yet they're being rewarded for that so what pushed you out of education and how do you feel about that? So, as I mentioned before, my specialty was uh, behavior intervention. So, having worked at North Park Montessori previously, I uh, helped decrease suspension rates. I helped increase, um, you know, student um, involvement, student engagement with, you know, within their classrooms. Um, I will recognize that, or I will say that, you know, recognizing that North Park Montessori is different than traditional schooling. However, um, I do know that a lot of schools benefit from having appropriate PBIS um, 
programs and PBIS support. And um, for those that don't know, PBIS is Positive Behavior Interventions and Supports. Um, and so early on in my time at Alger, I recognized that we didn't have a very strong PBIS program. I went to the administra administration and I said, hey, you know, I would love to be a part of this. I would love to even take it over because I don't see a lot of stuff happening. And I want to make sure that our students have the resources and the skills necessary to when a you know when an issue comes up academically or behaviorally they know how to respond to it appropriately um, and I was uh, I was refused that that leadership position um, I was refused any sort of say in where the PBS PBIS program went and eventually you know towards the middle of the year to, you know to the end of the year students began to be pushed out uh, suspended expelled um, and I felt it inappropriate because we didn't we didn't give them the skills necessary to deal with a lot of issues that were going on we didn't give them the appropriate space to really um, you know talk through those emotions that they may be experiencing and that comes especially you know after one of our students was um, unfortunately killed um, in an incident outside of school but you know those things happen and we have to be able to um, recognize students frustrations and emotions and heartbreak and be able to work with that but we weren't and we we're just pushing them out and that is something that I wanted to change I talked to the administration again and I received pushback about how we we're doing everything we could and I knew we weren't so at that point I decided hey you know this isn't the space for me I'm doing you know I'm, I'm being complicit and damaging or in harming these students and I didn't want to be a part of that, so I decided that I needed to leave. Otherwise, I would be complicit in that um, system. And that's something that I, um, especially just being someone that has experienced similar things growing up, didn't want to be a part of. Yeah, that's that's um, something I also experienced at my school as well. There was um, one particular child who had a lot of tough things going on in her life. And... Um, honestly i dealt with the brunt of her behavior so i've dealt with her you know taking tops off of markers throwing them on the ground and then stepping on them so that they could not be put back on throwing everything on the floor i mean <laughs> uh some pretty difficult uh behavior and yet i never roll her up to be suspended or anything else like that i most of the time refuse to even write um referrals because I understood and knew that her being suspended was not gonna fix the problem in fact I even saw that when she was suspended uh, a few times by the administration when I was like forced to write her up because you know it came from the principal um, she came back worse <laughs> exactly what I thought would happen and it was because with her I was trying to build like that safe space that she needed um that space that she knew that you know as I'm building helping her develop the strategies to deal with her emotions which that's not going to happen overnight that's not going to happen in a month or two I I literally spoke with the principal I said this is going to take years of consistent um behavior modification on our part uh, strat using behavior modification strategies on our part rooted in what i always say is love rooted there you know um 
And I know it's hard as an adult to deal with that stuff. I've dealt with it, but I feel, I, like you said, it, it's extremely important to have those structures. And when um, you're in a school and they don't have PBIS and they aren't supporting people who are giving proven results for that, it's, it's really tough. It's hard to stay. And um, yeah, I, I'm kind. That's pretty much my issue as well. Like, I, I don't want to be a part of the harm being done, and also I'm being harmed myself. So it, it's tough. All right. So what are you doing now? So most recently, <clears throat> I was a part of uh, a camp, uh, a field organizer position with We the People Michigan, um, an organization that's uh, you know working to build. Uh, you know, build solidarity within, um, you know, communities of color, working class people. Um, most recently, we were working on getting driver's licenses for all off the ground. So that's been something that's been in the works for years through Movimiento Cosecha, um, a local um, organization. And we've been trying to push not only, um, you know, we've, we've been pushing for people to, to know about the issue, but we've also trying to been put. Um, we've also been pushing legislation uh, at the state level um, to get uh, you know get that bill passed so that uh, undocumented immigrants have access to driver's licenses and state IDs. So that's something that I've been working on recently. However, uh, I did just leave my position with We the People Michigan. Um, to focus on my campaign um, that is running for GRPS school board. So that's something that I'm working on now. And uh, it was a conflict of interest, so I will be returning to that organization hopefully after the campaign season. Um, but for now, um, I'm just working on the campaign, uh, getting my name out there, and still trying to do that you know, boots on the ground work for driver's licenses for all, just in a different capacity. Okay, cool. I love that you're such a community-based and a community-oriented person. I think that's um, extremely important if you are going to be running for Board of Education because, I mean, you know, schools are microcosms of society at large. So what inspired you to run for Board of Education? So you're absolutely right about, you know, schools being microcosms of their larger communities where they exist. Um, running for Board of Education, I talked to a few of my past administrators. Um, a lot of them did uh, support me leaving the district. They saw, you know, the issues that were going on um, and they recognized that uh, I wasn't being utilized you know, to my fullest potential to help students, you know, recognize um, their true potential. And so uh, going from there, I talked to administrators about, hey, potentially running for school board so I could still be advocating for them on a different level. And honestly, maybe on a, on a higher level, um, changing policy to better fit the needs of our students now, because there is a huge disconnect between what community needs and what uh, school board members think that they need. Um, and, and not to say that they don't serve our students, they serve some of our students, um, especially in theme schools. 
So theme schools, I feel like, get a lot of attention, get a lot of uh, uh, promotion. Um, whereas neighborhood schools, like the ones that I've been a part of, uh, seem to get left behind. And so that's something that I really wanted to uh, prioritize. That's something that I really wanted to get out there. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I decided to run for a school board and, and we're in the mix now. And so we'll see how it goes. I love that. I would love to see a neighborhood school in my neighborhood that really addresses the community needs. And uh, because you're you're right about uh, the theme schools being kind of like the pride and joy of the um, of the district. But uh, funnily enough, I was talking to someone, um, someone who kids go to a theme school and their wife is on the board of the theme school. And they said that the district wants them so badly to like reintegrate into it, but they're not interested in it. So that's, that's kind of funny, you know, <laughs> because um, there's defi- definitely uh, cognizant dif- dissonance somewhere happening there. Anyways, so what are three things you hope to do on the board? Yeah, so, um, you know, the work has already kind of been done. Um, and, I mean, it continues. It continues. It's work that's never-ending. But the Michigan Education Justice Coalition... Um, has a uh, what it calls a <clears throat> uh, healing and healthy school platform and so that's something that you know I, I went to read and I recognize that a lot of the things that I'm fighting for are things that communities all across Michigan have have called for um, and so recognizing that I kind of modeled some of my campaign priorities my platform to those needs um, one of them being supporting a people's budget. So a people's budget is, you know, a budget that is uh, informed by what the community needs, um, community voice. And so one thing is a participatory budgeting process where communities are given a certain amount of money to allocate towards specific programs that they want to see in the district. So that's something that I believe is very important and also necessary if we want to continue building community um, trust, community relationships, and a a school district that works for everybody, not just the people who are, you know, the loudest. They're not just for the people who have the resources, have the time to go and complain to the school board, Um, but for anyone that has input, anyone that um, has great ideas that they would like to see in their community, that's something that that will help them achieve that goal. Um, A second thing, is uh, prioritizing funding for the staff that's working directly with students. Um, There's a lot of people on the district administrative level that make six figures or more. Um, Well, not more than six figures, but, um, you know, there's plenty of people making six figures at the district level, but a lot of staff at the building level, um, you know, start off, most recently, they increased the starting pay to $40,000, which still is not a lot. They used to be in the like $36,000, $37,000 just a few years ago. Um, but support staff and educators and teachers 
are really essentially the backbone of public education and I don't think that they received the necessary funding. I don't think they received the necessary recognition or, or support needed to be success, successful in their work. Um, so we really need to look at funding in ways to ask how does this benefit students and building staff directly. Um, a lot of our staff such as special education support staff, cafeteria workers, custodians make less than a living wage and I think that that's something that's important if we want to continue to find success is just treating everyone like they are important like they deserve to have a you know fulfilling uh, life that you know pays them enough to actually live with the important work that they do every day um, a third priority would be um, addressing academic and disciplinary disparities so academically black and Hispanic students are two and a half times behind um, or two, two and a half grades behind uh, their white counterparts. Um, additionally, regarding disciplinary action, um, you know, black students are three times more likely to be suspended or expelled. Um, and that's just unfathomable to think about that because Hispanic students and black students, you know, they make up a majority of neighborhood schools but then in theme schools, white students make up the majority. So you see where the disciplinary action is taking place and you want to address that more and you want to dig deeper and say, okay, what are the root causes of this and what can we do to change it? So those are three important aspects of the campaign that I'm running that I want to focus on. Um, there is a lot more, um, but those are, I would say, are three top priorities for me. Uh, yeah, so if you want to learn more about my campaign priorities, uh, we will be having our uh, campaign launch party Monday, July 11th from 12 to 2 at Rising Grinds Cafe. That's 1167 Madison Avenue Southeast, located on Madison and Hall. Um, and we can talk about, you know, my campaign priorities because I have um, a lot of them. I, there's a lot of work that I want to get done on the board. Um, and I believe that my uh, priorities are very realistic and doable. Um, but yeah, if you want to learn more, you can also go to joseforgrps.com to learn about my campaign priorities and how to get involved. But otherwise, you know, the, the work will always continue and there's always going to be, you know, moving targets for what our priorities are because community needs are not stagnant. They are continually evolving for what the community needs at that time. And I'm hoping to be a candidate that uh, recognizes that and uses my platform to address those needs. All right, folks, you heard it from the man, Rise and Grind Cafe. That's where you can learn more about what Jose plans to do on the Board of Education. So before we wrap it up here, I'd like to ask you one more question. And that is, what advice would you like to give to prospective teachers? Because... I, I believe we need to pump life into it. I don't want to scare people <laughs> from going into the teaching field because, because we need to be there for the kids. So what advice would you give to prospective teachers? Um, I would say that, uh, you know, I, I recognize that it's um, hard work. I recognize that it's uh, work that goes sometimes unrecognized and unrewarded. Um, and I would say to honestly 
as much as you put into it like give yourself space and time to to um you know live your life but also while you're in school mode i think do your best to try to create community um and that's genuinely like something that i've tried to do in any school that i've been to and um i know that being a teacher is is hard i know it takes a lot of work and time but reach out to your support staff use them as a you know as a as a resource for how you can get more um involved with what students are uh experiencing what they like what their um motivators are because a lot of the time support staff have you know that more time to to talk to students about those you know needs and those interests and um just lean on that to really try to build relationships within the school district or within your building and use that to your advantage use that to help students succeed um but also make sure that it is genuine um you know students can recognize when someone is being real students can recognize when someone is trying to be pandering to them but if you really care about kids if you really care about the work you know you'll you'll find a genuine voice within it all and uh that's what students are looking for um i think that that's probably the biggest thing that they're looking for is a genuine voice of of love and care and concern for their safety and well-being and their growth and i think that that's probably the thing that would find most success you know within your classroom within your school building um so that's the advice that i would give to prospective teachers um and hopefully that you know that leads you onto a path of success with your students and with their academic and um you know social aspects moving forward yeah that's that's great and you know i i would also say too like just what you uh how you grow from it teaching changes you i know i i grew up a lot i matured a lot i developed a lot of my philosophies just working hands on hand um in the field with these kids and just like they're so loving and you know they just want that attention and to build those relationships is just honestly for me that was one of the best parts of the job but don't don't let us just tell you you know go and figure it out for yourself all right well that is all i have for you guys today Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Jose, for coming and visiting Free the Tongue. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, yeah, again, students are, you know, students are as much as cliche as it sounds, students are our future. And we need to build them up to be resilient and um, powerful individuals that will help form our society for the better so again thank you for your time and thank you for having me on all right guys see you later all right folks that's all for this episode I hope you've all enjoyed listening to this podcast for community brought to you by American English TEFL. I'll see you next time.